Hello, guten tag, lovelies. I'm Valeria, and this is Have Murder, Will Travel. How's it going? In case anyone is wondering, I'm still pretty certain that I'm being pursued by the Squirrel Mafia. And today I may have angered them. I accidentally hit a squirrel with my car. I tried to stop, but the squirrel was on a suicide mission, and I hit him. It was horrible. I told myself not to look in the rearview mirror, but what did I do? I looked. I cried, not ashamed to say it. And I'm not a crier. I never cry. And I cried when I hit this squirrel. But I don't think my tears will have any effect on my would-be killers. Seriously, they're still like sitting on my fence and not leaving. It's really weird and creepy. I just thought I'd give you guys all an update. You know, in case my body turns up somewhere. You guys know it was the squirrels. Let's just get to this week's case, yeah? We are going to Germany. I said hallo and guten tag because those are both greetings in German, which is, of course, the language of Germany. Hopefully my German pronunciations are fairly decent. I did take German in high school, and I've been practicing with Rosetta Stone lately, so we'll see how it goes. As always, do my best if I fuck it up. I don't know. Adjust your ears. This week, we're going to be talking about Peter Curtin, aka the Vampire of Dusseldorf. I will not be calling him that because that's a cool metal name, and this fucker does not deserve that. I'm going to warn everyone right now that this case is rough. This is going to be a gnarly, difficult case to get through. There is all the trigger warnings. There's incest sexual assault, child victims, animal abuse. Like I said, all the trigger warnings you can imagine, just apply them to this. I'll try to be delicate. I'll try to not delve too deeply into some of the gnarlier bits, but I am going to have to tell you some harsh details. If that's not your cup of tea, Totally understand if you don't want to listen. Catch you next week. If you're sticking around, let's go. We're going way back this week. Our story starts on May 26, 1883, when Peter Curtin was born. His home life growing up was not great, to say the least. The family was poor, and Peter lived with his parents and 12 siblings in a one-bedroom apartment. Fifteen people in a one-bedroom. Peter's parents were both alcoholics. His father was abusive and liked to beat his wife and kids. His father would also frequently come home drunk, make the whole family line up, and then force his wife to have sex with him while the kids watched. And to really top off how fucked up his dad was, when Peter was 14, His dad spent 18 months in jail for repeatedly raping Peter's sister, who was 13 at the time. Only 18 months? Not long enough. I did see a few sources say that he got three years, but he got out. So I'm not sure 
if he was only sentenced to 18 or if he was sentenced to more. Either way, not long enough. Fuck that disgusting lump of flesh posing as a human. Eventually, Peter's mother did leave her husband and remarried. I couldn't figure out if she took the kids with her or if she left them behind. I'm pretty sure she just left them, but I'm not sure. Either way, Peter was already 14, 15 years old at this point, so the damage was definitely done. This is one of those cases where we can absolutely feel bad for little Peter growing up in that depravity, and I can't even imagine the effect that had on his psychology. But we have to also remember that Peter does have free will, and he makes his own choices, and we cannot feel sorry for adult Peter. Honestly, even teenage Peter is a piece of fucking shit. Lots of other kids grew up in the same environment with him, they didn't all become serial killers. I think there was something wrong with his brain from the start. And in the end, he was just an asshole who enjoyed harming others. When Peter was only nine years old, two of his school friends drowned while they were out on a boat together. At the time, everyone thought it was just a horribly tragic childhood accident. Later, however, Peter claimed to have murdered them both. He said he pushed one of them overboard because he knew he couldn't swim. The other boy jumped in to save the first one, and Peter held his head underwater until they both drowned. What the absolute fuck? Nine years old and that's what he's doing? Definitely something not right in your brain. There was some debate at his later trial over whether or not Peter understood the consequences of these actions since he was so young and the permanence of death and the significance of it might not be fully comprehended by the child. I don't know. I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be. But I personally think he knew exactly what he was doing and understood the severity of it, especially when we look at everything else he did. Just my opinion. We also have to remember that he claimed this later. There's a very real chance that those boys did just fall off the boat and drown. And maybe he was just trying to shock people later. We're not sure. But if nine-year-old Peter did that, I think he knew what he was doing and he wanted them to die. Peter was the oldest child and that meant he was often the subject of his father's abuse. Like he was the one that got the brunt of it. So because of this, he would often run away from home for days or even weeks. While on the streets, he learned from other petty criminals how to commit small thefts, pickpockets, that kind of thing. He initially did these petty crimes just to survive as a street kid. He's like Oliver Twisting it up. That's who, that's who did that, right? Oliver Twist? Fagin? All I can think of is the uh, Disney animated version, Oliver and Company. Like that movie. In addition to possibly drowning two classmates when he was nine, Peter made a new friend when he was nine. Oh, this is not sweet. A dog catcher lived in the same building as Peter, and they became friends. This would be great and wholesome if the dog catcher was a positive male role model for Peter. But sadly, this dog catcher is a shit stain on society. 
I'm about to tell you about some really fucked up animal abuse, so skip ahead a bit if you don't want to listen to that. This dog catcher liked to torture and kill the dogs that he caught. He would do this in front of Peter, and eventually Peter began joining in on the torture. And then Peter began engaging in bestiality with the dogs. Over the next few years, Peter's sexual desires expanded and he began performing bestiality on sheep, ghost, ghost, goats. Maybe if he could have gotten a ghost, I bet he would have. Anyway, performing bestiality on sheep, goats, and other farm animals. Peter found the most pleasure by stabbing the animal during intercourse. I had to take a second here because I just feel yucky saying all of that. Ooh, I just took a shower and I feel like I need another one. <laughs> but you can already see how Peter equates sex and violence. And he is a young teenager at this point. The sex and violence correlation, it's only going to get worse. Peter claimed to have stopped with the animal acts when someone saw him stabbing a pig. I think he stopped because he graduated to humans. I also am not sure if he ever did stop. I wouldn't be surprised if he was still doing that to poor animals. Peter tried to rape his own sister, the one their father had already assaulted. That poor girl. I hope she got far away from them. I can't even imagine the trauma she carried with her. Peter did well in school. A lot of serial killers do. But Peter dropped out at his father's insistence in 1897 so he could get a job and help the family out. Olden times were so wild. Can you imagine? You're like 14 and your parents are like, Yeah, I think you've learned enough. Time to get a job. Maybe kids were different in the 1800s, but... 14-year-olds now, they could not handle that in the slightest. Have you seen 14-year-olds? 14-year-olds I know would make terrible employees. Terrible. Peter got a job as an apprentice molder. This job lasted two years until one day Peter stole all the money he could find in his house, plus money from his job and skipped town. In his new town, Peter resorted to petty crimes to survive. Or you could have just stayed at your stable legal job. I don't, I don't get it at all. He'd rather be fucking Oliver Twist than just work a job like a normal person. It was at this time that Peter also began a relationship with a prostitute. He later said that she would let him perform all of his sexual perversions on her. Not sure if that's true or not. I don't really believe anything he says. Peter was arrested for breaking and entering and theft. In 1899, at only 16 years old, Peter served his first prison sentence. This would be the first of many sentences for Peter. He was definitely a lifer who was just doing his life sentence in bits and pieces. In prison, Peter transferred his sadistic tendencies from animals to humans. Peter was released for the first time in August of 1899. 
He claimed to have committed his first murder that November. In his later confession, Peter said that he picked up a girl around 18 years old, took her to a park. At the park, they had sex. Then he strangled her and left believing her to be dead. There's no evidence to back this claim up. If it did happen, the poor girl likely survived and didn't report the attack. And that's why there's no record of it. Or, you know, he's just a liar. Peter told investigators later that this is when he realized the greatest heights of sexual ecstasy could only be achieved in this manner. So it can only be achieved through violence. This is not like consensual BDSM. This is, I want to hurt people for my pleasure. That's not okay. I personally, I think this did happen, this first instance. I think the poor girl survived and didn't report. And now Peter's in this fucked up headspace where he thinks that, you know, sex can only be good if I'm violently strangling someone. And that's, that's not going to cause any problems at all. That's fine. In 1900, Peter was arrested again. This time he was arrested for fraud, theft, and the attempted murder of a girl with a firearm. Well, that escalated quickly. Peter was sentenced to four years in prison this time. Four years for attempted murder. That'll show him. While in prison this time, Peter ended up in solitary for bad behavior. In solitary, he discovered that he loved to fantasize about brutal sex acts. He loved this so much that during the sentence and future sentences, he often broke prison rules just so they would send him to solitary so he could have these brutal fantasies. He was released again in 1904. Peter was then drafted into the army and sent to France. Big shock, Peter sucks and couldn't handle the military, so he deserted and ran back to Germany. That fall, Peter started committing acts of arson. He was arrested a few months later for desertion, robbery, attempted robbery, and arson. He freely admitted to the police that he had committed 24 acts of arson. He would set fire to abandoned barns and haylofts, and then, like a lot of arsonists, he would return and watch the firemen try to put out the fire. He told the police that he set the fires for sexual excitement and also in the hopes of burning a sleeping person alive. Wow. That this dude needed mental help. Like, this is not okay. But instead, they gave him eight years in prison, which I, I do not understand. I don't know if it's because it's the early 1900s or what, but he's just casually and freely admitting to all this shit. I mean, like, yeah, I was trying to kill people and man, I was just creaming myself while the, you guys were fighting that fire. Ha ha ha. And they're just like, eh, eight years, that'll be good. Dude should be locked away for life. I shouldn't knock the cops too much, though, because this is one of those rare instances where the cops were actually using their brains and doing the damn thing? You'll see. You'll be proud of them. While in prison this time, Peter claimed to have encountered severe forms of discipline for the first time. 
He, of course, got himself thrown into solitary again. While in solitary, because of the severe discipline and repeated incarcerations, Peter began to become angry with society. As such, his graphic fantasies were no longer just sexual. He would often fantasize about striking back at society by killing masses of people. He later told investigators that he got the same pleasure from these fantasies that others would get when thinking about a naked woman. So he literally was just imagining committing mass murder while jerking off. Like, disgusting. And again, this is not me knocking somebody's perversions or whatever. Whatever gets you going is fine. As long as you're not hurting yourself or others and you're fantasizing about killing people, that's the definition of hurting others. Get out of my fucking face. Peter also said that he loved these fantasies so much he often would spontaneously ejaculate while having them. Again, deriving sexual pleasure from mass murder. No need to be worried. We can just release him back into society. And that's what they did in 1913. And this is when he committed his first confirmed murder. I'm warning everyone now, this first one is a child. If you don't want to hear that, skip ahead a bit. Her name was Christine Klein, and she was nine years old. Her parents ran a pub and lived in an apartment above the pub. On May 25th, 1913, Peter broke into the Klein apartment because he'd been robbing nearby apartments. That's how he makes his living because he's too lazy to get a job. In this apartment, he discovered little Christine asleep while her parents were working downstairs. He strangled her, and when she struggled, he pulled out a pocket knife and slit her throat twice. He later said that he ejaculated when he heard the blood spurting from her wounds. He then snuck back out of the apartment and just went home. This fucker actually went back the next day and drank at a nearby pub just to hear what locals were saying about the murder. Naturally, everyone was disgusted and horrified, and this just delighted Peter immensely. Like, he's just sitting there, just snickering to himself while all these people are talking about this horrible child murder. Sicko. The poor girl's uncle was initially thought to have committed the murder because he'd had an argument with Christine's father. Luckily, the uncle was cleared because there was no evidence. But Peter followed that investigation and took great pleasure in the idea of someone else taking the fall. Even worse is the fact that Peter would go and visit Christine's grave for weeks after the murder. He later told investigators that he would handle the soil on her grave and spontaneously ejaculate. Ugh, I'm just feeling gross the further we go into this. I, ooh. Two months later, Peter attempted to murder another young girl, 17-year-old Gertrude Franken. Peter broke in to burglarize her home when he found her asleep in bed. He strangled her, ejaculated at the sight of blood coming out of her mouth, 
and then fled the scene. Gertrude survived. Just a few days later, Peter was arrested again. He was arrested for arson and burglary, because he's still doing that shit in between attacking innocent young girls. At this point, the cops did not know that he was the murderer, the attempted murderer. They literally think he's just a petty criminal. He was now sentenced to six years in prison, and this sentence was actually served in a military prison. Peter had such bad behavior in prison that he actually ended up serving eight years instead of six. Most of the sentence was served in solitary, where he continued with his graphic murder and sex fantasies. Upon his release in April 1921, Peter moved to Altenburg, where he lived with his sister. I hope it was not the same sister who he tried to assault. Through his sister, he met a woman named August Schrauf. This lady had previously been convicted of shooting her fiancé, so I don't think she's someone you want to fuck around and find out with. She owned a sweets shop, which sounds like a fucking dream. Although if I owned a sweets shop, I would weigh 500 pounds. Peter and August, August, I'm not sure. They were married two years later. Peter later did say that the marriage was consummated, but he could only perform if he fantasized about committing violence on someone else. He also said that they only had sex if his wife asked him to because he never initiated. It's so messed up that he can't just have a healthy sex life with a willing, consenting adult. It's just, there's something wrong there. Like, this person is like, hey, I will willingly have sex with you, and you can't, you just can't, because you're too busy thinking about murdering people. At this point, Peter seems pretty domesticated. He's married, He got a regular job as a molder and even became involved in the trade union. There are no reports or evidence that he committed any crimes during this time period. It's weird. He had like a cooling off period. A lot of them do. I don't know. In 1925, however, Peter and August moved to Dusseldorf. I take a brief pause and interject here to tell you that I can't say Dusseldorf without thinking of the producers. If you haven't seen the producers, what is your life? Go watch it. The movie adaptation with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick is pretty good. Anyway, there's a part during springtime for Hitler where a guy says, I was born in Dusseldorf and that is why they call me Rolf. And anytime I hear the word Dusseldorf, that's all I think of and it makes me giggle. So just so you know, Anytime I say Dusseldorf while I'm recording this, in my mind I'm going, hee hee Dusseldorf. Back to our case. In Dusseldorf, Peter immediately began two affairs, one with a servant girl named Teed and another one with a maid named Mech. He usually strangled them while they were having sex. Peter even told Teed, that's what love means. No, sir. No, it is not. Not unless you're both into that. But I don't think they were. His wife discovered the affairs, and then Teed reported Peter to the police. She claimed he had seduced her, and Mech told the police that Peter had raped her. The rape charge was dropped, 
but the charges for seduction and threatening behavior stuck around, and Peter was hauled off back to prison. He served six months and was initially told he had to leave Dusseldorf, but he successfully appealed that and was allowed to stay and continue to terrorize Dusseldorf. In 1929, I'm not sure what happened, but Peter fucking snapped and he went nuts on the poor people of Dusseldorf. On February 3rd, 1929, Peter stalked an elderly woman named Apollonia Kuhn. Apollonia is a really pretty name. Shout out to any Apollonias listening. Once she was out of sight of witnesses, Peter grabbed the lapels of her coat and drug her into the bushes. He was screaming, no row, no screaming, while he stabbed her with a sharpened pair of scissors. He stabbed her 24 times, and many of the stabs were so deep, they hit bone. Apollonia survived. Yes, girl, we love you. Fair warning, the next one is very rough. This next one is brutal and horrible, and it's a child. So again, skip ahead if you need to. Five days after attacking Apollonia, Peter attacked nine-year-old Rosa Oblinger. He strangled her into unconsciousness. Then he proceeded to stab her in the temple, stomach, heart, and genitals. He ejaculated while he stabbed her. And then, this part is fucked. He inserted his semen into her using his fingers. He then drug her body under a bush and left. Peter returned a few hours later with kerosene and lit her body on fire. Her body was found the next morning under the hedge, half burned. Five days later, on February 13th, Peter murdered a 45-year-old mechanic named Rudolf Scheer. Peter stabbed this man 20 times, mostly in the back, head, and eyes. Once Rudolph's body was discovered, Peter even returned to the scene and talked to the police about the murder. These fuckers are always so cocky. At least that's usually what gets them. These victims were all different. Young girl, older woman, middle-aged man. It'd be easy for cops to not connect them. But like I told you before, these cops actually had working brain cells. And they figured out that even though there was no good victim profile, the attacks were committed by one person. Good job, cops. They know it's one person. But they didn't have much else to go on. Not like they could test all the DNAs leaving behind. Peter did attempt to strangle and kill four women from March to July, but they all survived. His next murder did not occur until August 11th, 1929. Peter met a young woman named Maria Hahn on August 8th, 1929. He later described her as, quote, a girl looking for marriage. I don't like how he says that. Like it's an insult. Fuck off, Peter. If she's looking for marriage, you should stay away from her since you are already married. Peter instead arranged to take her out on a date on August 11th, 1929. 
this just shows you that dating has always been hell. Hashtag why I'm single. He took her on a normal date that lasted a few hours. Then he convinced her to go into a meadow with him. Once in the meadow, Peter began strangling and stabbing her. He said that she pleaded for her life while he sat on top of her, waiting for her to die. Maria did not die for about an hour. This poor girl had to suffer with him attacking her for an hour. I just don't understand the psyche that allows someone to do a prolonged attack like that. Also, they spent several hours together before this, probably getting to know one another. Was he just thinking about murdering her the whole time while she was sharing details of her life? How fucked up. Peter then got scared that if her body was found, his wife would figure out he did it because of the bloodstains on his clothes. So he buried Maria in a nearby cornfield. The next part is horrendous. I know I keep saying that, but it's all horrendous. feel nasty saying this next part. Peter returned a few weeks later because he wanted to nail Maria's decomposing corpse to a tree like a crucifixion just to shock people. But Peter was a weak, tiny man, and he couldn't lift Maria's body and nail her to the tree, so he decided to rebury her. Before he did, though, he laid under her corpse and caressed and embraced it. Then he reburied her. Ugh. Blah. Let's all just take a blah breather for a moment. He also later told the police that he revisited her grave several times and, quote, improved upon it. He, I don't know what that means, improved upon it. He was also filled with satisfaction when he thought about what was buried underneath. I told you the cops had figured out that this was one person. One of the main reasons they figured that out is because he used the same weapon in every attack. Those sharpened scissors. I'm going to post a picture of them. Peter realized this was not good. So he stopped using the scissors and started using a knife. On August 21st, in the early morning, Peter randomly stabbed an 18-year-old girl, a 30-year-old man, and a 37-year-old woman. All three survived, though they were all seriously wounded. Each of them told the police that their attacker said nothing before stabbing them. So he's just out of fucking control at this point. He's just going around randomly stabbing people. Can't do that. On August 24th, Peter attacked children again. Warning, warning, warning. This one involves two children. He was at the fairgrounds when he spotted foster sisters. Five-year-old Gertrude Haymacher and 14-year-old Louise Lindzen. Peter convinced Louise to go buy cigarettes for him and he was going to give her some money when she got back. Louise left, leaving Peter alone with little Gertrude. Peter picked this five-year-old baby up by the neck and strangled her into unconsciousness. Then he slit her throat and threw her body in a nearby bean field. When Louise came back with the cigarettes, Peter partially strangled her before stabbing her repeatedly in the torso. One stab pierced her aorta. Do you know how deep you would have to stab for that to happen? 
My chest hurts just thinking about that. Peter also slit her throat and sucked the blood from her wounds. This is where he gets the nickname the Vampire of Dusseldorf. Like I said, I will not be calling him that. Instead, we should give him a new name. We should call him, like, um, the, um, the Hemorrhoid of Dusseldorf. Yeah, we'll go with that. The Hemorrhoid of Dusseldorf. He claimed to have drunk so much blood from her body that he threw up. I feel like he may have made that part up just for dramatic effect because he's a dramatic ass bitch and I'm not here for his drama. The very next day, Peter accosted a 27-year-old woman named Gertrude Schulte. There's a lot of Gertrudes in this case, just so you know. He literally went up to this stranger he did not know and asked her for sex. She was like, um, no, as is her right. Also, in case you didn't know, it's weird to just walk up to strangers and ask for sex. I'm just doing my part to help you guys all fit in socially. After she said no, Peter said, well, die then, and just began stabbing her in the head, neck, back, and shoulders. She somehow survived, but she was unfortunately not able to give a description of the attacker. The only thing she could remember was that she thought he was around 40. Peter was 46 at the time, so she kind of close. Maybe he looked young for his age. Also excuse her for not getting a better description while she was being stabbed. Peter tried two more unsuccessful murders in September, one with his hands and strangling someone, and the other with his knife. After these didn't work, Peter switched his weapon up again and started using a hammer. This weapon switching really had the cops going for a bit. They did actually fall for it, and for a little while they were like, are there multiple people terrorizing Dusseldorf? On September 30th, Peter met a 31-year-old servant girl named Ida Reuter at a train station. He convinced Ida to go to a cafe with him. After the cafe, he suggested a stroll through the park. She said yes, because that sounds very romantic. Peter then struck her with a hammer. He hit her with the hammer before and after raping her. He later said that she pleaded with him to spare his life. He then, quote, gave her other hammer blows on the head and misused her. On October 11th, Peter met 22-year-old Elizabeth Dorier outside a theater. He convinced her to go to a cafe with him. After the cafe, they planned to take a stroll along the river. Again, very romantic. Instead, Peter beat her with his hammer, raped her, and then continued to beat her over and over. She was found at 6.30 the next morning, still alive, but she died of her injuries that next day. Now, I told you the police were doing the damn thing, and they sure the fuck were. There's this whole string of crimes, and it had made international news at this point. It was not just all over Germany. It was everywhere. The public is panicking, and these cops were like, we got to do a real-ass investigation. They received more than 13,000 letters from the public, like tips and all that jazz, 
And they actually investigated every single one of them. They recruited other police forces, which never happens, but I'm so proud of them. By the end of 1929, more than 9,000 people had been interviewed, and they were following around 2,600 clues or pieces of evidence. They even had an official suspect list of over 900,000 people. That's a lot, but better than the entire population. And they're trying. We, we got to give them that. Then the police received a strange anonymous letter dated October 14th. This letter went into detail of Maria Hahn's murder. The letter was a confession, and it told the cops that she was buried near the edge of the woods. Why do these dumb fucks always write to the police? This is so fucking stupid. If you're killing people, I think you'd want to not draw attention to yourself. But so many of these killers are like, Wah, nobody knows it's me. I gotta tell everyone. And then when they get caught, they're like, Oh, everyone thinks I'm a killer. Now I'm going to jail. What do you want, dumbass? Peter committed his last fatal attack on November 7th, 1921. 29, excuse me. Warning. This is another child, a young, young child. On November 7th, Peter came across five-year-old Gertrude Alberman. He convinced the child to walk with him. Once they were in a secluded area, he strangled the little girl and then stabbed her over 30 times. Five years old. He then hid her body in some nearby bushes. This was his last successful murder, but he's not done yet, unfortunately. Her body was found two days later on November 9th. Also on November 9th, a local paper received an anonymous letter confessing to her murder, giving a map to her body. This letter also had a detailed map to Maria Hahn's body. Her body was finally found and recovered on November 15th. The police had handwriting experts check the letters they'd received, and all these letters were written by the same person. Also, he confessed to two murders that happened kind of far apart. This led the police back to their original guess that it was one person terrorizing Dusseldorf. This dumb fuck writing letters and getting himself caught. I'm so glad he's fucking stupid, but like, how are you an adult human and you're that dumb? Oh, stupid hemorrhoid. In early 1930, Peter kept trying to strangle and murder women. He attacked at least 10 women between February and May. He strangled them. He attacked them with hammers. None of these attacks were fatal. And most of these women were able to describe their attacker. And their descriptions all sounded like Peter Curtin. Hmm. These non-fatal attacks made the mass hysteria even worse. Because now papers were printing sordid survivor survival tales like they were tabloid fodder. Like you were one of his victims that survived. You were getting interviewed left and right. You were like a celebrity. May 14th, 1930. This is where... We're going to begin the end here. Begins the events that are at long last going to see. 
Mr. Hemroyd arrested. On May 14, 1930, a 20-year-old woman named Maria Budlick was at Dusseldorf Station. Maria had come to Dusseldorf seeking employment. She needed a place to live, all that jazz. An unnamed man approached her, and after speaking with her for a little bit, he offered to walk her to a local hostel. Maria agreed, but then she became suspicious of this man when he tried to get her to walk through a sparsely populated park. She's like, ugh, this seems creepy. Always follow your guts. She was resisting the man when a second man approached and asked if the man was bothering her. Maria was like, yes, he fucking is. And the first man just shrugged and walked away. Unfortunately for Maria, the second man was Peter Curtin. What are the odds of running into two disgusting creeps like that back to fucking back? Peter took a distraught Maria back to his apartment where he gave her food, something to drink. He, of course, was expecting a show of gratitude, if you will. Maria knew what he was after because it was not her first day on earth. And she told him straight up that she was not having sex with him. Peter pretended like he was fine with this. And he's like, that's fine. Um, Let me walk you to a local hotel. Instead, he led her into the woods and strangled her while he raped her. She screamed and pleaded. Peter let her go because she assured him that she didn't remember his address or anything about his apartment. The dumbass thankfully believed her. Maria did not report this assault to the police, but she wrote her friend a letter where she described the assault in detail. She addressed the letter incorrectly, though, and someone at the post office actually opened it. I'm glad this series of events happened, but since when do postal workers open your mail? Is this a thing that happens in Germany? Because that seems rude. This postal worker reads the letter, reads all the details of this assault, and that postal worker gave the letter to the cops. I understand why they gave the letter to police, and I'm glad they did. I just hope Maria understood too. I think my initial reaction would be to feel violated all over again that other people were reading about this, the assault, people that I did not intend to know about it. I hope she was okay. Chief Inspector Gannat found Maria and interviewed her. She told him details of the assault, described everything, described the attacker, and oh yeah, surprise, she does remember Peter's address, and she was like, hell yeah, I'll take you there right now, let's go. Inspector Gannat wanted to catch this disgusting rapist, but he still hadn't connected it as the hemorrhoid of Dusseldorf. He's like, cool, cool, let's go catch this guy. They get to Peter's apartment, where the landlady told them his full government name. She's like, not in my building, bitch. She's like, yep, his name's Peter Curtin. Come get him. Peter was not home at the time, but he came home while they were searching. They didn't see him, but he saw them, unfortunately. He left immediately. He went to his wife and told her that he had raped Maria Budlick. He told his wife that because of his previous crimes, he'd likely get 15 years hard labor. I don't know about any of you, but if my man came home and was like, 
Oh, by the way, I raped someone. Oopsie doopsie. I'd be pissed. I would call the fucking cops. And honestly, he'd be glad when the cops showed up for him because I'd be whooping his ass. But Peter's wife was like, oh shit, really? You should probably get out of town so they don't catch you. This is the one part of the story where I kind of want to slap her. I feel like I should take a moment to point out that I'm not a violent person. I've never actually hit anyone and I would be useless in a fight. But in my head, I'm beating all these people's asses. Peter left town. He went and hid in a different part of Dusseldorf, so not all the way out of town, but far away. Meanwhile, the cops had started piecing everything together, and now they're like, oh, so not only is he this asshole that attacked Maria, you know what? I think he's think he's the hemorrhoid of Dusseldorf. Peter knew that they were not stupid. He knew his goose was cooked. So he came home on May 23rd. This is when he confessed to his wife that, by the way, it wasn't just that one rape. I'm actually the vampire, cough, cough, hemorrhoid of Dusseldorf. In a weird way, I think he did love his wife in some way because he told her to turn him in so she could collect the reward money that was being offered. And he said he just wanted her to be taken care of. The next day, a goose called the police, told them what her husband had said, told him he was the killer, told the police she had no idea, no idea about any of it before his confession. I do believe that. I don't think she was a part of this. She told the police that her husband was ready to turn himself in that afternoon. Sure enough, that afternoon outside of St. Rockus Church, Peter Curtin was arrested at gunpoint although he went willingly. His wife did get the reward money, which I don't think is right. She shouldn't get it because he wanted her to have it. Peter freely confessed to all the crimes attributed to the hemorrhoid of Dusseldorf. Plus, he confessed to the unsolved murder of little Christine Klein, the attempted murder of Gertrude Franken. He confessed to 68 crimes, including nine murders and 31 attempted murders. He seemed to enjoy talking about his crimes. He told the police that often he would ejaculate over the sight of his victim's blood. He told them that he often drank the blood. He even claimed to have once killed a swan and drank its blood. I don't necessarily think he did that. Again, at this point, I think he's just trying to shock people. Peter also told the police that none of the children victims were tortured. Fuck you, Peter. You sexually assaulted and murder people, including children, and you think they weren't tortured? Get fucked. Anyone that does anything to kids can just drop dead. Police said he seemed to have an almost photographic memory about all his crimes, and he seemed to derive great pleasure from talking about them. Because he's fucking nasty. Peter's trial began on April 13th, 1931. He was charged with nine murders and seven attempted murders. Peter initially pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. At trial, he was actually kept in an iron cage to protect him from the angry family members of the victims. He was shackled to the floor of the cage as well. Part of me is like, hmm... 
maybe we all just leave the room and leave the families in there and see what happens. Not advocating vigilante justice. I'm just saying maybe once in a while we just all leave the room and see what goes down. Just saying. It's an option. Peter offered no motive for his crimes. He simply blamed his childhood for his behavior. Again, I understand that, yes, he had a unbelievably traumatic-ass childhood. But so does his siblings. So do lots of people. And they don't all become murderers. You can't blame everything on your childhood. There comes a time when you have a choice. You chose to kill people. The prosecution offered up a ton of witnesses and evidence. They also had a ton of evidence that Peter was not insane. While waiting trial, a number of psychologists examined Peter. They all came to the same conclusion. Peter Curtin was not insane, fully able to control his actions and aware of the criminality of his actions. Upon hearing this and seeing all the evidence, Peter was like, hmm. Maybe I should plead guilty. So he changed his plea to guilty. He showed absolutely no remorse. Clearly, he's fantasizing about it. He actually said in court, quote, I have no remorse. As to whether recollection of my deeds makes me feel ashamed, I will tell you that thinking back to all the details is not at all unpleasant. I rather enjoy it. What a piece of shit. The trial lasted 10 days, ending on April 22nd. He was allowed to give a final speech to the court. Most of the shit he spewed is not worth repeating. I'm going to tell you a bit of what he said, just so we can talk about what absolute shit he was. He said, quote, Many of my victims made things easy for me, not only because they went off with me at once, but also because they hoped I would propose to marry them. The hunt after the men is nowadays so keen. Classic victim blaming. And he actually thinks these women wanted to marry him when in fact they all turned him down and were trying to get away from him. But yes, Peter, every woman wants to marry you. You're so irresistible. The last part of his speech really pissed me off more than anything else he said. He said, quote, I desire to ask the relatives of my victims for their pardon. I wish to assure them that my victims did not suffer much, for they lost consciousness within 30 seconds. Nobody here would have remained an honorable man had he stood in my shoes as a child. Let that man who is certain that he would throw stones at me, although I can be executed only once, yet I beg you to consider that in my soul I have already often suffered the death penalty. If you take this into consideration, the feeling of hatred and revenge against me will subside. Show yourself to be forgiving. How dare he fucking address the victim's families and then for him to once again claim that they didn't suffer? Sir, you were brutally murdering them? I'm sure they suffered. He's still blaming his childhood, claiming that no one who grew up in his circumstances would have turned out any different. But there were at least 10 other kids in that house, and from what I can tell, none of them were serial killers. Stop making fucking excuses. Admit you made a choice. Yes, childhood trauma. 
that was a thing that happened to you, can't use that as an excuse to justify everything else you do for the rest of your life. The part that most pissed me off, though, was when he said, I know you'll forgive me. The audacity of this bitch to not only ask for forgiveness, but then to tell the families that if they were thinking correctly, they'd have to forgive him. You don't get to tell other people how to feel, and you sure as shit don't get to tell your victims' families how to feel. Get fucked. The jury deliberated less than two hours. Peter Curtin was found guilty and was sentenced to death. Peter showed no emotion upon hearing the sentence. He did not file an appeal, although he did ask for a pardon. The pardon was rejected on July 1st. After hearing that his pardon was rejected, Peter asked to write letters to the victim's families, which he was allowed to do, and also he wrote a letter to his wife. I don't think he should have been allowed to write those letters. I doubt the families wanted to hear from him. That night, Peter had, as his final meal, wiener schnitzel, white wine, and fried potatoes. He ate two helpings. I think it's weird that we give people last meals. You're sentenced to death for a reason. Eat this slop and shut up. But for my last meal, I would just drown in a vat of mashed potatoes, if anyone's wondering. The next morning, July 2nd, 1931, Peter was executed by guillotine. Before he was executed, Peter actually said, quote, Tell me, after my head is chopped off, will I still be able to hear, at least for a moment, the sound of my own blood gushing from the stump of my neck? That would be the pleasure to end all pleasures. Luckily, no one answered him, and he was guillotined. Fun fact, the last person guillotined in France happened the same year the first Star Wars movie came out. I fucking love comparing historical timelines like that. Guillotine chop. That's the end of the hemorrhoid of Dusseldorf. His brain was studied for abnormalities and such. Nothing was ever found. Probably because he was just a piece of shit. And that is going to be the end of our tale of the hemorrhoid of Dusseldorf. I'm sure it's really hot wherever he is. There's no good way to end this. So I'm just going to say, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Have Murder Will Travel. I always post pictures related to the case. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Have Murder Will Travel Podcast. You can send me an email at havemurderwilltravel at gmail.com. Feel free to keep sending those case suggestions. I'm loving them. Tune in next week to see where we travel next. Until then, don't forget to explore the world and stay alive. Bye.